Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast where we talk to leaders from around the world to inspire and to ignite your potential. This is your host Deepa Natarajan from France. And today we're going to be speaking with Elodie Luang about transformation in critical times in organizations. Elodie shares her experiences with scaling organizations and creating change within teams exactly during critical times. And her approach is based on empathy, letting go and creating collective responsibility. And before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to my masterclass on why we need to rethink the way we lead today. Today, and as I speak to Elodie in this episode, we are a lot into action, a lot into doing, and we need the balance with stillness. And it's not just about balance between, oh, do I need to do less and be more still, but it's about how can I do, how can I get things done? And at the same time, how can I incorporate that level of stillness? Because in critical times, in crisis, the stress just increases. And at the same time, how do I get to have that sense of wellness in my head. And so I've created a methodology that'll help you gain this balance and rethink the way and redefine the way you lead. So head over to meetmypotential.com/masterclass to watch the free video. All right, let's get started with Elodie Luang who has about 25 years of experience in the retail industry including serving as an operational partner for the European fashion history and the famous Jean-Paul Gaultier. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Elodie. Hello and welcome to the show Elodie. How are you doing this morning? Very good, Deepa. Thank you. It is such a pleasure to have you here. You have a vast experience of having worked in the retail industry in high fashion. You worked as the ex-CEO of Jean-Paul Gaultier and so many other companies. Tell us a little bit about all your adventures. Well, the pleasure is mine, Deepa. Um I have uh, managed retail companies for 10 years now, and um, I've chosen to work as an independent interim executive. And for those listening who don't know what this is all about, um, I joined a company for a few months, very <laughs> often as a managing director, and my job is to fix critical issues and scale up the project or the company. Don't we all have critical issues? Do we all need to scale up? And this is something that's kind of become constant. So when do you know that it's really critical and that you need to step in? <laughs> that's a good question because very often uh, I'm called in, I think, a bit late. Um, I would love to come in earlier and, and uh, be sure to turn around the company before uh, critical issues become critical. Um, but what I found is that underneath the tired KPIs, the productivity that is uh, not well, very often there are deeper issues involving internal dynamics and uh, human-related factors. So true. Um, I have worked in many transformation projects, and every time I wish that they would call me earlier. And the reason I would wish that is because you waste so much time and money otherwise. Very true. <laughs> And the level of frustration just grows up. But the thing is, why is it that we need to wait for something to go terribly wrong to understand that we need a different perspective, that we need a different mind of thinking, and that we need to pay attention to the human dynamics of what's happening in the organization? Well, I guess that's uh, human, you know. Uh, we need to feel the pain before we, we stepped into it. Um, so I... 
there's no wrong time to do it. Uh, it's just a bit harder when we come in later. Um, but um, interestingly, I, I don't I don't mind. Uh, I I say the nature of my job is really to come in when I'm needed, and means it's the right time to do it. Right, right. It's never too late, right? No, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, you come in at, at critical times. You can, critical times are times when there is high pressure. In my definition, you'll, you'll tell me what are critical times for you. What does that mean? But it's usually when the pressure is high, when the stakes are high, when the emotions are running high, when uh, money becomes, finance becomes a very key aspect. Uh, what has been your definition of a critical time? Well, a critical time is really... Um, generally systemic. It's when um, the, the people, as you say, uh, become uh, upset and deranged by a situation and it becomes um, a, a major issue for performance. And generally, interestingly, in the 10 assignments I've done, uh, most of them started from critical issues uh, at the management level. You know, when it doesn't work well uh, at management level, when it's not fluid, when something is wrong, it scales down onto the, the dynamics of the company and things start going wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. If two departments are not collaborating, it's very often because the two leaders out there are not collaborating. I've often noticed that. Absolutely. And I've worked in company where leaders were two. Uh, sometimes they were not getting along, which was absolutely critical. Sometimes they were getting along, but they had different perspective. And sometimes the leaders were not uh, properly managers and, uh, and the teams would not challenge them enough. Uh, many different issues. But uh, at the end of it, looking at the organization, it always will often start from the top. That's a very important point that you mentioned. When... Two leaders are managing and they don't get along. How hard does it get for both of them? And two people have two different perspectives. You've also worked as a mediator. You do work as a mediator. And how do you mediate such uh, discrepancies where one has a very traditional, very conservative style and the other one is coming with a very innovative, completely new style approach? How do you bridge the gap between two completely varying styles? What an interesting question, because from an issue like this, you can really make a, a real opportunity. Uh, I've been many times in these uh, types of situations. Um, and in fact, it, the intention was sometimes very well aligned, but the two people didn't speak the same language. So they didn't understand each other. And from not understanding each other, became fear of each other. And I've seen sometimes them fight, you know, uh, whereas finally their objective was the same. It was to save the company. It was to make it successful. Um, so as a mediator, to answer your question, what I do is uh, help the translations. Uh, obviously, I will not be uh, um, uh, doing arbitrage, you know, I would not mm -hmm. take a, a position, but I will just translate what one says to the other in the language that they can understand. And at the end, we reach an alignment and we can move forward. Now, uh, what I want to, to uh, state is that being a mediator is not the same thing at all as being an uh, interim manager. The posture is not the same. So when I come in as a mediator, I do not make a decision. I just bridge the gap between 
two people that are in conflict or that do not understand each other. When I work as an ex interim executive, I am an operational, so I will make decisions. I will, uh, you know, have a, a leader's posture. So that is not the same. Yet uh, the tools of the interim managers will be extremely powerful in that uh, in that situation. So, what advice can you give for? people who have completely opposing perspectives to actually start to understand each other? Well, empathy, uh, maybe. Um, try to see it from the other uh, person's perspective. It's quite enriching and quite humbling also to, uh, to look from a different prisma, you know. Um, it's difficult to do when you're in a situation where you're afraid or where the stakes are high. So it needs a bit of help, and that's why the, the mediator or that's why the uh, external person comes in, is to help, uh, uh, to help with uh, accommodate a different perspective. But yet, um, I think that the richness of uh, a conversation, of decision-making, comes from diversity, um, diversity of opinions. Um, and therefore, people have to strive and look for it. I've worked uh, lately for a company, um, a French company with uh, a lot of activities uh, in Europe, and they have three leaders working, three uh, together. And I was amazed to see how well they get along and how, uh, how quickly they can make decisions. Because with three, when two want to go right, the third one goes right with them. And in that company, uh, I took over the, the French organization, and we were uh, an executive committee of five people. And what I found amazing is that those five people from different backgrounds, very different from one another, strong personalities, they got to, we got together to discuss, to reach decision, and to make incredible how outcome uh, come to life because we were not... Uh, agreeing on all the issues, but yet we would listen to one another, uh, we would respect uh, the others, and we got aligned at the end of each meeting with the best decision we could make together. And I found that incredibly powerful. <laughs> you know what? I'm not surprised by what you said, because I ran a nine-module workshop for a team um, to be more collectively responsible. And then at the end of the whole uh, nine module series of coaching sessions, at the end of like four months, I sent out a questionnaire uh, listing all the different activities that we had done. And I asked them, which one was the most useful to you? The one that shifted and that changed the way you operate. Mm -hmm. And they all consistently said, the skills that we learned to listen was the one that changed us. Wow, that's powerful. You know, um, as we, I heard one friend of mine who's mediator as well say, uh, we were made with two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Why? It's probably to speak a lot less than we have to listen and observe. So I, I took that as a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, um, when the stakes are high, right? When the pressure is high, when... I'm afraid as a human being. And uh, when, you know, I'm so attached to succeeding, it is so hard to actually listen to someone else's point of view. It's so easy to say, I'm right, you're wrong. 
How yeah. do you operate and how do you come in and manage those kind of critical situations? Well, um, our worst enemy in those situations is Mr. Ego. You know, uh, this guy, Ego, comes knock on your door and takes over uh, your, your mind, really. And uh, when you're conscious of that, uh, it makes things much easier. And particularly for me, as an external person coming to a company, I have no past in the company. I have no future in the long term in the company. And that's an incredible strength because that means it's easy to tame my own ego. Uh, obviously, there is um, internal uh, opposition in the company. Obviously, there is much ego and there is what we call politic. But this politic does not have to affect me because of the fact that I'm not there forever. Um, and it's easy for me to come in and give a different perspective and work with the people in a way that is not going to be in contradiction with their objectives. Uh, and little by little, I see their egos go down you know um after all we're all there for the same purpose and the only problem is that they they're the power the ego comes after us right so you know you you said something and you repeated this twice or thrice now so i really want to get to this like you said i come in as an interim manager but you're coming in as an interim manager where you know there's a pressure for you to succeed in a certain time frame Right. And the fact that you have no past, the fact that you have no future, how does that help you to stay grounded and make it through that journey, especially when it's hard and you don't have so much contextual information, you don't have a lot of history, but you've got to pick up all the mess that is there, clean it up and bring it to a high level of performance and off you go. Like, what is it in you that makes it happen personally? Well, you know, um, I was cabled, as we say, I, I was cabled for this very young, uh, as I moved 30 times in my life. So change is into my DNA. Um, that's one thing. And also the fact that I know that it's just an assignment and there is an end, it makes me quite resilient. So I come in, obviously, there is stress when you come into a new assignment because uh, you, as you said, you know, I don't know about the business. I don't know about the culture of the company. I don't know the people. I know one thing is that they're generally not going to welcome me very warmly because me coming in means, ch means change for them. It means that their routine is going to be um, unbalanced in some ways. Yet, um, I feel very calm. Uh, I feel grounded. Uh, I'm not afraid. And the more the chaos, I find the, the easier my job because there's going to be added value for sure. You know, um, the hardest for me is to come into a company where everything goes well. And that's what my last assignment, I came to a company where performance was there. It just needed acceleration. And I was very stressed in when I came in. I said, what can I bring to this company? It already works well. Whereas when it's chaos, you know, if it doesn't work, it's because nothing could be done better. And if it works, you know, uh, and obviously it does. Um, I'm there to make it work. And that's what is exciting is that project and that challenge. You mentioned two very important things here. And I just want to highlight that. The one is I look at it as an assignment and I know that this is going to end. And I have the philosophy that uh, we need to do our best in any situation that we are in and not get attached to the whole process that we are in. It's about 
not being detached either. Being unattached, what I have learned uh, from my coach is this ability to do my best in any given situation. And at the same time, the ability to let go of the result. I love what you're saying. We are, we are in a world where we think about short-term results. Uh, and we have to have quick wins. We have to have results. And that's part of my job and definitely one of the most exciting. Yet, uh, when I come in, I come in totally fresh. And I come in totally transparent with the people. Uh, I will tell them that I'm there for a short time. They're very surprised at first, but they like that transparency. Uh, they forget about it, you know, during the course of the mission um, because we work every day together. And at some point, I will remind them that I'm, I am about to go. And we're all surprised that it went so fast, but it's part of the process. And it's also part of my job to be sure that everybody understands why I'm there and why I have to go at some point. It's just because the company is where it should be and there is someone to take over for the long run. I have to go. It's like Mary Poppins. You know, uh, remember as a child, <laughs> she she used to come in with her umbrella and her feet like this, you know, and she would come in when the, what the name of the family, I think it was the Bank family, would meet them. And at the end of the story, she goes, you know, and I would consider myself as being a, a Mary Poppins uh, for the businesses. You truly are. Uh, and you truly sow the seed of joy um, wherever you go. That's the feeling I get in this conversation with you because there's so much um, optimism and hope that gets left behind in an organization when you make that kind of change. Yeah, hope for sure, but not just hope. It's uh, concrete. You know, things have happened. The dynamic has changed. And when the dynamic has changed, everything else goes with it. And the results happen, you know. Uh, the results is just the happening of much, much more factors. And I'm there to change the dynamics. And uh, first, when I started in that job uh, as an interim manager, I thought it was only about operational and, and, and changing things that were concrete. It goes much farther than that. It's changing a mindset. It's changing the way people look at the company and the way they look at their role in the company. And when you achieve this, obviously everything comes naturally because they have the answer. I don't. But they know the company much better than I do. They know the culture. So they know the method to get there. And if they're willing to get there, We're all going there together, but sometimes they just need a bit of assist, assistance, you know. Uh, I see myself more as a catalyst, you know, some kind of an agent that's going to come in and change the, the, the chemistry in the company. And that makes it very fun uh, to, to think of it that way. <laughs> uh, you come in and you sow the seeds for a new cycle of life to begin. And... In the methodology of um, rethink leadership that I often talk about, one of the key aspects is the ability to reset. And the ability to reset is about the ability to ask oneself this question, what needs to die within me? What needs to die in terms of product line, in terms of processes in the organization? What kind of silos needs to die? What kind of arrogance needs to die within so that we can all be more collaborative. And if we don't ask ourselves this question and we keep continuing in the same way, we're just going to keep getting the same results. So how has this shaped or 
manifested for you when you walked into an organization and you identified what needs to go away? How easy has it been for you to put that into place? Because, you know, that's been living, that's been running the organization for many years, for many decades even. How easy or difficult of a challenge has that been to you? Well, it's never easy for sure. But I look at death as a new the opportunity for a new beginning. And uh, so things have to go, sure. But it's not up to me to reset and press a button, just like you would do on the iPhone, you know. Uh, it's so easy. You just press reset and then it becomes operational again uh, and much better. Uh, in a company, it's a bit more tricky because you, you, you cannot impose the reset. You have to be sure that it comes from, from within the organization, within the people of the organization. So it takes a bit of a time sometimes. And I find that when I come in at the beginning, uh, I will find reluctance to change. I will find a lot of things which at the end there there are people that are scared they are afraid uh, and if you treat that part of it it comes naturally and treating it is also um, learning about tolerance accepting that it will take time and for the people accepting that things have to change and even if you don't want to change overall you need to change for things not to change you know so um <laughs> Uh, it's, it's, it's not me who says that. It's a line in a very, uh, a lovely French movie that's called Le Guépard. Uh, they say that for things to change, for, for things not to change, everything has to change. And I, I remember that every time. And I say, well, that means that if we need to change things, things have to change even more. So um, what I try to do, uh, first thing I do when I come into a company is really, first of all, to assess uh, the situation and see uh, the, the, the large sea ahead of us, but also um, to create a level of uh, communication and hopefully a level of trust with the people. Can you if give they, an example, a very specific example uh, that talks exactly about the situation? Yes. Well, I have two that comes to my mind. So let me pick one of those. Um, one of them is in a company where I came in and um, I was told that the team I was going to work with was really a team of, you know, desperate losers. And um, I accepted that. Uh, I met the people. And what I found, I found gems, actually. Uh, they, they were incredible people. But because they were so attached to the company and so deceived by the way they were managed, they became inoperant. And very quickly talking to those people, I, I brought life back into them. And uh, I discovered that not only they were very um, productive and, and motivated people, but because of that motivation, they had become angry, they had become upset, uh, the energy was down. And so it was easy to bring them back up, really. It just took a few weeks because they realized that they, they were going to have fun in their new assignment with me. I was going to have fun with them. And we started laughing in the meeting. We started, um, uh, they started expressing themselves and expressing their ideas on how things could go better in the company. Uh, and quickly, we could put that into place. And interestingly, I found this was contagious to even other departments. And some people came in and said, well, how come you're laughing so much in those meetings? We'd like to be part of it. And suddenly uh, I was in the commercial department and suddenly the, the, the marketing department came with us and suddenly the production started to collaborate. And we started moving forward in a much more transversal manner. You were talking about silos earlier. Well, a little miracle happened in that company and the, the silos disappeared. 
So, um, and, and that is a long-term change. What was a turning point for that? Um, a turning point, uh, you mean in... Uh, like what shifted? What shifted is the willingness of people to work together for once. And also they were not scared. So uh, people who were not talking to each other about their success, uh, not talking to each other about their good practice, started to share and started to enrich each other. And at the end of the experience, the the person who had gone away uh, was coming back and I, I was about to go. And the team came to me and said, you know, uh, we're quite afraid of what's going to happen to us now. And I said to them that nothing's going to happen. Things are going to continue because there's something that happened into you guys. When I came in, uh, you were a bunch of people together. And now you're a team. You're a strong team working together. So this new, this old person coming back in is not going to have no choice but to change. Because, you know, one person against the team It's the person who has to change. So don't worry about it. It's going to go fine. And actually, a person was prepared. I prepared her on her return. And uh, she she changed. She was willing to change. She was intelligent to change. So um, she entered that new dynamic with a positive attitude. And it all worked out. And obviously, the results came in <laughs> and continued to come in. So it's quite a, it, it sounds like a fairy tale. Uh, it, it actually, sometimes, I do see those miracles happening. It feels really good. Right, exactly. I completely believe you in that your miracles do happen and things do change around. And we always want to know how. Uh, how does that fear, because the more, the more, I have somehow found this, The more you have, the more you fear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I found uh, is that it's important to be oneself. Uh, it's important to be authentic. It's important to um, not play games, you know, accept also uh, one's flaw, uh, one's clumsiness as a, as a leader. Uh, Sometimes, you know, we make mistakes and it's all right. We all do. Mm. And once we think that way and we show that we as a leader can make mistakes, we see that in our teams, people are starting to take risks. They're starting to become audacious. They're starting mm. to um, bring out the best out of out of themselves and, and they dare to do things. So that's innovation for you there. Uh, once people start uh, getting out of their comfort zone. Right. And, you know, getting out of your comfort zone is never easy because that's the, you know, you're standing at the edge of the cliff and that's where fear grips you. And then uh, when you step out, yes, miracles happen. And that process of stepping out is never easy. It's a lot of stress and it's a lot of anxiety Um, especially when the stakes are high. What have been those situations which have been really hard and which have kept you awake at night? Oh, that's interesting. Um, well, first of all, I'm awake at night a lot when I start on assignment because it's so intense, so intense with so much information uh, to, to uh, swallow, to understand. Uh, so I'm always eager to do well. So I have to stay, I'm stressed. Uh, I accept that. Yet, generally, I don't show it. <laughs> But um, it, it keeps me awake at night. And it's all right. Um, it's positive stress, you know. It's not the kind of stress that takes you down. It's a kind of stress that brings you upwards. Uh, and it's all right. 
um, I prefer to have stress at the beginning and then um, start on the track and be comfortable with it. But I don't want to take with me um, people in that stress because generally they are stressed when I come in for different reasons than mine. They're stressed because they have been for a longer time than me in the company, a company that doesn't work, a company that has a critical situation to face. So my arrival and my stress should not be theirs. On the contrary, their stress is understood by me, and I need to surf on it, um, to calm it somehow, but not too much, because otherwise there is no more energy. You know, it's not just like when you're a runner and you want to jump, you run fast and then you create a rupture and then the dynamic go, goes into another direction. Well, that's a bit of what my job looks like. I need to keep the dynamic and change it from a negative stress dynamic into a positive, exciting stress dynamic uh, that will take the company forward. And um, it, it becomes natural, you know, it's like a, a bit of an athlete who strained for doing that line of work. For me, I know, uh, I know it's going to be stressful, so I accept it, and it's part of the dynamic, of my dynamic. The two ingredients that I really want to point out to people who are working in organizations, if they can hold these two ingredients that you bring with you from the outside, if they hold that within them, that's something that's going to help them. And the number one is being unattached because you know every time your assignment's going to end. And it's almost like saying, I know this bad time is going to end. When something, when we are suffering, We get attached to our suffering. We think that it's going to continue and it's going to continue. Like we think this, you know, so many of us in this COVID time, we're feeling like, oh my God, uh, we don't know if this will end, if it's going to be five years, if more viruses are going to come or what's going to happen. We get attached to what is happening and we get hooked onto it and our emotions get on the rise and get hooked onto it. You come in with a very strong belief and with a mandate, with a deadline, with a date mm -hmm. that is going to end. But if we can have that in our mind and say that this cycle is going to end, joy yeah. will come back, peace will, will come back. It will, exactly. It will for sure. Uh, it's hard to see it today. Um, there's much anxiety in, uh, in, in the homes, in the companies right now uh, because of the situation we're facing, which is a critical situation. Um, yet, you know, uh, it is going to end. And this is that resilience we have to find every day to fight for. Uh, I'm trained for it because that's part of my job. Yet, I feel that stress of the situation today, just as everybody else. And that's normal. That's human. Um, but we have to look at it in a different way. We have to look at it in an opportunity, as an opportunity to grow inside ourselves, as an opportunity to make our organizations think differently. Um, it's, it's a time, it's a rupture. It's, and ruptures are very positive. There are times when we ask ourselves questions that we don't <laughs> ask it, you know, ourselves in, in normal, calm situations. So let's take this opportunity together as teams to think of how we could do things better. So when the calm comes, we're even stronger, even better, even more productive. Uh, we should definitely not uh, look at the train go by, you know, and say, let's just wait, it will get better. No, let's just act now uh, to make it even better later on. I love that. Let's act right now because there is an opportunity here to grow. And I remember last year, you know, March, when the lockdown happened in France, 
my work kind of came, you know, tinkering down a little bit. All the travels came down. Everything came down, came to a stop almost. And I said to myself, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to build a coaching platform, to build a product. And I could not have gotten any better opportunity. And I created that. I started on that journey in May last year. It took me until November, six months of just pure creation, which I would have never gotten the time if it hadn't been for COVID. And so, and so there's opportunity. I would not have written my workbook. I would not have created this journal if it hadn't been that mindset to look at what is the opportunity for me in this adversity. In India, we always say adversity is the mother of innovation. And that's exactly yeah. what you're pointing to is there's an opportunity to grow in every instance and don't wait for the train, train to pass by. No, absolutely. Uh, it, it's hard to look at it that way when we're, we're <laughs> in the water, obviously. Um, it happened to me a few years ago, you know, uh, our, our uh, I'd say, uh, lifetime and, and careers are not always linear. And I, I went through one year which was extremely tough for me. Uh, for one year, no assignments came in. I don't know. I felt like I was on the side of the road for a while. And um, it, it makes me feel anxious. It makes me worry for sure. But at the same time, it was a real opportunity for me to do something I had never done. And this is when I became a mediator. Uh, I trained. Uh, I trained in France. I trained in the UK to become a negotiator, a mediator. And today I find this learning that I had the opportunity to take during this free time, emptiness, you know, um, really make me a better leader, a better manager, one that probably listens more than one welcomes the stress uh, better and and thanks to that year thanks to that time so uh, let's look at emptiness or stillness uh, as a real opportunity for growth and and for new challenges ahead <laughs> absolutely absolutely totally with you on that so if you were to point it to just one single advice for leaders today what would that be um Interestingly, it would be don't hire people who look like yourself and think like yourself. Um, try to promote diversity in your teams. Uh, get the challenge of people facing you, telling you you're wrong, uh, challenging you with their ideas, and uh, really surround yourself with brilliant minds that are different from yours and let them talk. I've seen so many <laughs> times that the, the, the energy that it brings of confrontation, healthy confrontation in respect for one another. It brings incredible outcomes. So that would be my, my advice for them today. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice one. Oh, that's so easy to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to take risks. It takes uh, what we call managerial courage, you know, but let's have this courage because it's for the better good. Exactly. Engage in divergence. It's so easy to say that. But then, you know, I can myself find myself like sometimes I'm in conversation with people and, you know, they complete disagreement and it's, you know, and then all the lessons of curiosity come back to me and I'm like, deepest, stay curious, deepest, stay curious. And it's so hard, right? And, but it requires practice. Practice is what comes. And I love what Elodie is saying is like engage in divergence and actively hire people who think differently and look at it as an opportunity for innovation and growth in your organization. Thank you so much, Elodie. And now for the last round of rapid questions, um, how do you practice stillness? 
Oh, uh, that's interesting. Um, well, I had a great mentor uh, years ago. Um, one of my bosses called Claudio told me, um, take your agenda every day and make an appointment with yourself. And at that time, I thought, well, what a crazy idea. I'm so busy. I don't have time for that. And I listened to it. It sank into me. And today, uh, what I do is every day in my agenda, I take not one, but two 15 or 20 or half an hour appointments with myself. And during this appointment, I practice what you call stillness. It's it's certainly not um, like meditation, but it's more like try to reset my brain for the next appointment. Uh, try to free myself from all the turbulence of the day. And uh, it makes me much more effective. So thank you, Claudio, for your great advice. And I would definitely uh, advise anybody to do so. And also um, not have appointments, meetings, more than 15 minutes. You know, in 15 minutes, a lot can take place. But 15 minutes or 50 minutes, we're not productive anymore. So, And why 15 minutes and not an hour? It's to have 10 minutes of that stillness. Uh, before you start your new meeting. And that's important. I find that uh, a real gem in my life. Thank you so much. What's the hardest part of resetting for you? Um, well, uh, <laughs> it's fighting with my ego coming back. You know, it, when I say ego, it's not arrogance or anything like that. It's the, it's the rational, uh, the rational of, of the daily life. Uh, it takes over you. It can take over your agenda. It can take over, uh, it masters your, your daily life. No, um, I, I want to be in control of my agenda. I want to be in control of my thoughts. I want to be in control of many things. And in, to be better in control of things, you have to let go. You know, uh, in French, we say lâcher prise. Uh, it's just to let go. Let go of performance. Let, let go of uh, hard feelings. Let go of your ego. And you find out you'll be more of yourself and you'll definitely be more effective and efficient. Thank you. And what does co-creation bring to you? Hmm. Well, it's in the same line of idea, actually. Co-creation means let go of your ideas and your wants to let other people come in and create with you. So <laughs> it requires a bit of confidence in yourself because obviously you're always going to be challenged uh, in your ideas. But co-creation is so rich. Let your teams bring their ideas. Uh, let them and give them the benefit of creating with you. And uh, as uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not there to stay uh, forever in a company. It's a way for me to pass on uh, in French, we say passer le relais, you know, pass on the, the work, baton. Yeah, exactly. uh, the baton, the baton, thank you, uh, to the next person. So co-creation is a way to do it in a soft and very efficient manner. Soft meaning not, you know, not aggressive. Um, let people take over the project. Uh, let them sink in and co-create with you. It's such a wonderful, rich experience for everyone. Right. Knowing that you're just here as a catalyst. Exactly. <laughs> how <laughs> do you make exactly? And how do you make others collectively responsible? How do you bring that sense of collective responsibility in an organization, uh, especially when it's very hierarchical? 
Well, it comes from within. Uh, I, I worked for very hier- hierarchic uh, situations, uh, organizations. Uh, one of them was actually uh, the Jean-Paul Gaultier experience, because in an atelier, you know, where they make the dresses, you have the first of atelier, the main person leading, and then you have the seconds, and then you have the people working, and there's a whole hierarchy, and they look at each other in the rank. Um, and as a... a the, the manager of the whole company uh, coming in, working with Jean-Paul Gaultier uh, uh, also. Uh, obviously, I was seen as someone that would not talk to people and I would not be close to them. And what I found is that uh, really, they little by little uh, had to tame the people, uh, come slowly towards them and make them understand that they could, could come into my office, that we could talk about anything. Um, and... Um, it, it, it was quite an amazing experience. Uh, do I have a minute to talk about an anecdote? Sure. I would like to share. I came in one day and I saw two seamstress sitting on the floor making a wonderful uh, dress for a wedding, a wedding uh, in, um, in uh, Saudi Arabia. And those two girls, two ladies, they were sitting on the floor talking about women's uh, condition. And uh, it was so interesting to come into that conversation and chat with them about how uh, the longer the train, you know, of the dress, the richer the husband in that culture and what it meant about the women wearing that dress. She couldn't really walk in and so on and so on. We had a very interesting conversation for five minutes. And then suddenly uh, it was time for everybody to go back to work. So I got up and I could see in their eye I was becoming the, the boss again and as they were sitting down, I gave them a cushion to sit on. And one of them looked at me and she said, you want us to work more? <laughs> and I said, oh my goodness, how, after the conversation we had, how, how can she say that? And I sat down at the same level with her, eye level, and I said, no, I want you to work better, more comfortable. And, and that was it. But I had to go back and shift the, the conversation again into a human being talking about a human being and not the boss talking to the employee. So that meant that the hierarchy was so strong in that company that although we had had this great conversation about women, uh, uh, you know, they, they suddenly shifted back into that uh, boss-employee relationship. That was quite interesting learning for me, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. We have a long way to go in terms sure. of bringing collective responsibility, in terms of shifting the dynamics of how hierarchy is seen today. Thank you. It's our responsibility as leaders to work that way, I believe. Exactly, exactly. So what does presence mean to you? Because for me, like presence is an entry point to any of these things. Is like you realized in that moment when she said, uh, you want me to work more. You immediately connected to how that felt within you. You connected to how that must feel for her. Mm-hmm. And so if presence was not there, that conversation would not have taken place. Yeah, I didn't think of that that way, but for sure. Uh, for me, presence has more than one meaning. First of all, it means fully connect in the interaction. Uh, That means that when you're talking to someone, there should be no phone interruption, no looking sideways at emails and so on. Uh, You have to be 100% present uh, in the present time with the person and pay 
all your attention. And that's probably why this conversation took place. Um, and also, I think presence means being authentic, you know, um, accept yourself uh, as you are as a person and not as the role that you're given. You know, uh, it's okay to arrive with a tag saying, uh, I'm the general manager. And of course, it helps when I come into a company. But really, it doesn't help in the long run if uh, I'm not myself as a person, the person that I am in authentically. So um, for me, that's what presents me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, we all have different ways and means to explaining that. But I, what I'm really hearing is like, just connecting when you say authentically is like I'm being authentically present to what I'm feeling right now. And I'm being really in the here and in what's going on right now with me, with the people around me and in the room that I am in. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Eludi. It's been a pleasure having you here. The pleasure was mine, Deepa. Uh, it was a great conversation. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk. You're welcome. And before we close this episode, if you have one last message that you would like to share and say, this is my message to the world, what would that be? You know, whatever happens, wherever you are, uh, you have to feel uh, in a safe place because the safe place is your safe place. It's psychologically where you feel secure. Uh, today, we're inside our homes. We cannot go out much. So travel in your mind, uh, you know, Think about the great times you had. Uh, um, think about the, the sun outside above the cloud. I think that uh, is really a, a message that I would like to share. Uh, it's not easy every day. Hang on. Um, we'll get back there. <laughs> well, anyway, good luck to everybody. And uh, hopefully um, soon we can share about sunlight again. <laughs> thank you so much we have a saying in india it says this too shall pass and if not it's not the end everything will be fine in the end if it's not fine that means it's not the end so right <laughs> let's, fantastic let's end on that note thank you so much thank you Deepa. and for all the listeners listening in there thank you for listening and i look forward to talking to you soon again and until then stay cool